Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Writers on Film, the only podcast dedicated to books on cinema. Hello and welcome to Writers on Film. My name is John Bleasdale. I am a writer and film critic and today I'm going to be talking to Hannah Flint whose new book, Strong Female Character, has just come out. It is partly a memoir, partly a manifesto. It's intimate and funny and I really enjoyed reading it. It's a real challenging, fascinating viewpoint and read if you enjoyed the episode please remember to uh, subscribe like and do all those things you can follow me on twitter at dr john t d r j o n t y but before you do any of that please enjoy the conversation no yes so i managed to get i was seeing um bardo the Alejandro in a ah, right. which um what did I'm you kinda, think I it's what it, it's so interesting because obviously this is like kind of autobiographical like biographical for him as well so it's kind of interesting as someone who's just done a bit of a memoir myself like looking at like the way we tell the stories of our lives so it's quite interesting mm. for me to see how that manifests and like the idea of memory and stuff. So I'm sure we'll talk about that, but I quite, I, I, it was a bit, maybe a bit long. Luckily I didn't see the San Sebastian edit. <laughs> I wouldn't have finished it until one. Um, yeah. But he's just, yeah, I, I, I quite, I just, I, I've always been very, a big fan of like his visual storytelling and the way he does transitions. And it's just kind of beautiful in that way. Um, but yeah, still need to let those feelings marinate a bit. <laughs> 
Yeah, he reminds me a little bit like of an uh, a, a Highlander, the guy who directed Highlander with his sort of like, you know, moving from one scene to another via a fish tank yeah. and coming out of a well and the sort of pop. I know, I like the seamlessness to it. I kind of like that kind of, you know, that you you kind of, that fluidity of the movement. And I suppose in a way it kind of serves the point of like the way memories and dreams, they kind of, they don't, there's not a bit really beginning in the end. They just kind of float into. So yeah, kind of got wet for me. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's that there's that line in Inception where Leonardo DiCaprio sort of turns around and says, "Do you remember? Do you remember how you got here?" And that's sort of like one of the ways you can tell it's a dream is because like, no, I'm I'm just here, you know. Whereas whereas your book Segway. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's kind of about how you got here as well as, you know, how you got to uh, to do what you do as well as a memoir and, and all those things. Yeah. So in, it's so funny because now it's done. I've yeah. had, and now I'm doing interviews about it. It's, I'm kind of like, how, how did I do it? <laughs> how did it kind of formulate? <laughs> how did I come to this kind of, and so it's been interesting kind of trying to remember, like even, even the way I decided to kind of weave the memoir stories within the kind of film criticism. And I, I kind of, I've, I kind of, when I think about it, it was far more intuitive than me kind of setting out. Like normally if I do an article or if I'm doing a feature writing or something, I might say, okay, I've got, I've got, you know, just I'll have these sections. I want to hit these points, but this, it kind of felt, I started writing and then it was like, okay, okay, now I want to go into this bit and then kind of going back and forth. So it wasn't really, <laughs> maybe I should say, it wasn't well thought out. <laughs> but I, I think that was the kind of beauty. And I think, I think the beauty of, uh, I suppose, uh, what I enjoyed about it was, you know, there's some things that immediately struck me when I think back on my life and memories and movie memories, because I think movies can often function a bit like music in that you connect movie to like music to a time in your life to a memory all those feelings and I, I kind of had an idea of what subjects I wanted to cover but then and 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 I suppose in my head kind of understanding the stories that I wanted to tell but then it so there were certain things where I can remember you know I think one of the first you know I think my first like memory of being at cinema was seeing The Lion King mm. um, at Waterman's and you know, I remember, you know, the stink and I kind of put in like my first kind of thought of it is kind of being very super terrified when uh, Mufasa gets the stampede thing. But then I also kind of thought, oh, what else is what else struck you about that film and what you struck, what struck you in a year since seeing it? And I was like, oh, actually, there's something quite funny about it showing like implying a sex scene in a whole like song montage. I thought, <laughs> oh, that's that's really fun. So, you know, certain memories, certain films and stuff where you think they might go actually kind of served in a whole different chapter, you know, and that was one about kind of losing your virginity and talking about that. And I thought that was quite a funny like way in. And so, yeah, there's certain memories that I have of watching films. And, and I suppose this is how I feel about uh, cinema is like, I suppose I kind of say it a lot in the book is like, I feel like cinema is... And movies are kind of a reflection of life and I suppose I have a really I feel a lot of empathy when I watch it like um and so it's the emotional 
draw to them and that relating to what I see on screen and things like not having maybe the words to articulate how I feel about it but how I feel about my life but then seeing it's like oh that's what it was like and then yeah I think it was kind of building from from that one the memory the movie memories that you know immediately come from my come into my head but then also I suppose in understanding what I've learned from watching cinema over the last 30 years and then how even going back to old stuff like how my my modern sensibilities of looking at it like seeing it from this you know mm. the, in the glow of 2022 has changed how I feel about it and how that might have made me feel then and what I was what how impressionable I might have been from the certain you know characters or storylines or tropes or devices and or even just you know the act the type of actors we see on screen you know a lot mm. I talk about as being a mixed person of mixed heritage and only seeing a very specific you know white female standard for much and, mo- and a lot of the films in this have white female protag- protagonists so then there was another part of me where you know I wanted to you know as much as some of those films you know I was raised on because that's just the way it is I can't change the history of how I watch films I can't go back and you know watch films that might have had far more kind of diversity in it I just wasn't aware of but it's mm. like how do I then use put my like film critic and journalist hat on to say well these things were also there at the same time and actually I'm so lucky that I've come to it later in life and you know how you know even modern day in, in where we are now I wanted to make sure I include a lot of the, the stuff that we're seeing right now because you know it's a memoir but it's also you know it's looking back but also what's the future and what what's the present and so yes yeah, so there was a lot of um so there were some things where you know some essays took like well, I, I call them essays originally I saw it as essays but apparently you know people don't like the word essay <laughs> apparently people roll their eyes at essays now we say chapters <laughs> um but yeah it was yeah it was definitely a kind of I wanted to cover a lot of bases but also letting myself off that I couldn't possibly cover them all like I can only go from my specific experience and my what I watched you know and obviously I can watch extra stuff and sometimes it was great because you know it's just say I was I was doing a chapter on, on on body hair and I was thinking back to all, all the kind of, you know, shaving scenes I've seen in movies. But again, you're, you know, the amount of movies you've seen obviously is going to slip in the gap. And I remember, I remember Helen Hart, when I posted on Twitter, I said, oh, can you think of shaving scenes? And she was like, one fine day. And I was like, oh my God, one fine day. I had that on VHS. I watched it so much. And I was thinking in my head, trying to wrap my brains, what was that film that I saw it in? And then by mm. having someone just spark that memory, I was like, oh yes, that's what it was. <laughs> and which I love that film, by the way. I mean, you know, kind of, you know, seeing Ticket to Paradise recently reminded me of how much I love George Clooney in rom-com role. That, that was one of his sort of false starts when he went to, you know, when he was coming off ER. And he, and he sort of did Action Hero with Nicole Kidman and then he did rom-com and he couldn't, he just did, none of them quite worked. And yet, you know, they were good movies, no. but they didn't quite match where he wanted to be. Was that the one? That's the one. With, that yeah, with Neil. It was a female director. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. yeah. I, yeah. remember, I remember that one and she had a bob and she's like the translator <laughs> yeah and she saw how, how, there's a the poster was her running uncomfortably in in high heel <laughs> shoes i think she i mean did, love that trope i could have done a whole chapter on that trope <laughs> yeah i think uh, as, uh the the adjustment bureau has um is it emily yes. blunt running emily uncomfortably blunt. in high heel shoes yeah, <laughs> That's, yeah. I think there's also, I remember one of the other ones is Transformers, the one where Rosie Huntington-Whiteley switched 
um, roles with Megan uh, with Megan Fox. And I remember thinking, she's tall enough. Why are you putting her in heels? It's interesting, the the fact that, you know, essays, yeah, essays, it sounds too academic. It sounds too much like homework. And that this this book is the opposite of uh, of homework, I think. There's a real sense of, of fun and sort of, it, it, it gave me the feeling of sort of a film critic letting their hair down, if that's if that if that makes any sense. Uh, yeah, and I really like that because I think there, and what I've learned as someone who's come into this field, and I kind of I, I hope I've articulated well in the book about feeling somewhat insecure in even having that kind of label because oh. I haven't gone through the academia route into you know my 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 love of film comes from loving film, going to it as a family habit, like that's. That's what, you know, even when I was, you know, started up and doing journalism, you know, that's, I wanted to talk about films, whether I was, you know, for so long being able to call myself a critic, I felt like I wasn't allowed to do that for a very long time. Um, and I and I suppose for me, I, I would just be pretending if I was trying to be, mm. you know, if I was trying to be really, be like an, a scholar on film, mm. because I'm not, you know, I... There was probably, you know, there was some films films in this where, you know, I think there's about 700, around 700 film and TV shows I reference. And, you know, there's when I talk about some of the classic cinema, you know, the short, you know, the, the silent films, like these, some of these things I haven't been able to see or I, I didn't study or I mm. haven't got the shorthand to be able to just like throw out some of those references. So for me, it was trying to be honest about where I am at, where what I can talk about and not trying to be something I'm not. But also, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, one of the things I learned when I did um when I did my master's in journalism and it was doing broadcast journalism. And um I think one of the things stuck with me was when the tutor said, when you're writing for like TV, you're writing news, make it so like an ele- a smart and eleven year old can understand. And so I never wanted to feel people to I want people reading to feel, I don't know, excluded. Mm. I want them to feel like they either they either watch the films, they can relate to them, or like, oh yeah, I've seen some of these, seen some of these films. Or they'll be like, oh, I kind of want to watch that. I'll, I'll add that to my list. Or, you know, I don't want to ice people out. I want it to be accessible for everyone. And I think, you know, that's how I want. That's how I hope to be as a writer. And obviously, you know, that's just me. There, are, you know, this is the beauty about I suppose where we are right now is that you can find a writer for any one of your kind of sensibilities or how you want to consume, you know, writing about film, writing about cinema or writing about anything, really. I think mm. there there is a voice for everyone. And I suppose, yeah, you know, the, at the start of my book, I kind of quote Charlie Kaufman and, and that, that, I mean, that quote that I use um, is, is something that I printed off and stuck on the wall in front of me so that anytime I was feeling that imposter syndrome, like, oh God, does anyone care what I, what I have to say? You know, just seeing him where he's like, do you? You know, it might not be yeah. interesting, just take it off the table, but you, what you're doing, you're offering something like rare, something it's unique and, you know, it's important. And I suppose that's that's kind of how I feel. I feel like at least whether it's just one person who kind of comes <laughs> away thinking, I love it, you know, and then I've done my job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody has that imposter syndrome to to... Um, one degree or another. I, I mean, and I think you can tell the people who have them because they're the people who everybody hates. <laughs> they're, the yeah. people, they're the people who definitely shouldn't be doing the job, you know, if you yeah. uh, if you don't have some degree of humility, because everybody's everybody's got huge holes and gaps in their in their knowledge, especially especially now. I mean, when I was starting watching films in the seventies. 
it was kind of possible to watch a heck of a lot of movies, uh, uh, like a huge percentage of the movies that have ever been made. Whereas nowadays, there are just so many films coming out a year and you've had another, you know, 50 years since then. So, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's becoming uh, Yeah, that's impossible. definitely, you have to let yourself off a bit. <laughs> yeah, it is. And, and, and also, for me, it was also trying to find... Again, because you know, I talk a lot about kind of insecurity I felt in my identity being half Tunisian, and but even trying to find films that are Tunisian made, you know, um, you know, it's you know, there's some things that you don't even, that aren't really talked about. You know, one of the things I kind of bristle at is doing the, you know, oh, I, I kind of conscientiously object to doing like the hundred greatest films of all time lists and stuff like that because I feel like all we're doing is some re-cementing basically the kind of the so-called canon a lot and don't be wrong there are ways that we we kind of add new stuff in but it can feel like whenever you search for like films or something online it, it's quite narrow-minded so when I was trying to find stuff stuff um by Tunisian directors yeah it was it was you know I kind of some some one thing I was kind of lucky about was uh, JSTOR was really great because mm. it not only has like classic kind of as like magazines, like like cineast. How do you say it? Cineast. Cineast. Cineast I think. Cineast. Yes. Yeah, I think you so. You can edit that. <laughs> <laughs> you should have seen when I was doing the audiobook. The amount of time you don't have to edit, but like when I was doing the audiobook, you write things down. You're like, oh wait, I don't know how to say this name <laughs> or this word out loud. So there's lots of stopping and starting to try and get the correct pronunciation uh, when I was doing recording the audiobook. But there was like loads of um, kind of articles that I could look back at, you know, from from the 70s and, and the 80s, these these interviews that obviously were in print, you're not got like a link to now. So having that, but also having like, you know, it was a really great article about like sexuality in Arab cinema. And I managed to find um, some some, you know, kind of context there as well to kind of put in the article uh, in the article in 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 the chapters and and then even getting to see that film now it's like oh great I've got to see it there's um it's the um it's called the wedding see this is this is the thing it's like blocked in my head now now I can't even remember the name of the movie but there was one there was a, a film set in Tunisia about two about you know two best friends one's Jewish one's Muslim and then and I talk about this scene there's a waxing scene in it um, and it was perfect because I was like, oh, God, this like gets here we go. Here we're showing here. I found this film that, you know, from writing this book, I was able to seek it out. And now I get to include it in this kind of conversation and then talk about how that is represented. And it was so amazing just seeing that scene when again, waxing scene and the shaving scenes and films are quite slim. So and obviously in the in the I'm kind of got a Western you know, I've got a Western understanding of the cinema far more than the international world or what, you know, what manages to kind of, you know, um, trickle through um, the markets, whether it's festivals, the Academy Awards or things like that. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's been it's been nice to be able to kind of fill in the gaps in my cinematic knowledge um while writing this book as well and hopefully kind of you know again in, as much as I'm introducing myself to things uh, introduce other people to it as well 
Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always feel like a critic, like I'm, uh, you know, I once got a job teaching uh, where they gave me a subject I'd never done. They said, oh, you can teach geography starting on Monday. And it's like, I've never taught geography. I don't know anything. But, you know, was, this was a sort of private, very shoddy private school. And I found myself sort of Sunday night reading the five pages of the textbooks and then Monday morning walking in and teaching it as if I knew it as, uh, you know, this, I was an expert. And I feel like that as a writer on film. I'm often finding stuff and then writing about it as if I oh I always knew about this it's like oh they just discovered it you know it's uh so I mean yeah. that's I don't yeah. think that's uh, and- a problem <laughs> well I think it's also I think sometimes oh it's called the wedding song by the way it's just like Karen Albu see this is the thing I'm like if I'm right. gonna name it I want to make sure that I have the the the, the filmmakers she's a French Algerian filmmaker Karen um and but yeah there there is another thing that one of my editors said to me when um kind of after I'd submitted some stuff I think when we were going through the first kind of edit notes Mm. um and they said to me you know you can have some more authority in what you're saying like you should be able to you know you are in some way an expert on your subject and don't look this is you're not writing for critics you're writing for the general public and that's one thing I had to really think about as well because I think so often I don't know if you found this as well but sometimes when you when you put your work out there and especially in um the way we can kind of dissect everyone's work in a very public forum on social media and stuff there was this again this kind of imposter syndrome coming in it's like oh god are critics gonna call me out or say I've got something wrong here Mm. um so there's that kind of fear that peer peer pressure oh yeah absolutely (laughs) of like of of trying to you know then you know as as my editor said like you know the the person the average person who's going to read this is not going to be you know they're going to welcome this as you know knowledge so there's kind of responsibility there to be honest and try and be you know as be informative in a way that's you know obviously correct and and a lot of film film criticism is obviously subjective so you know you kind of like cover your back a bit there Mm. but yeah there are some times when you kind of do worry if someone's going to say well that's that's not an observation or you've got you know that date wrong which I don't know (laughs) (laughs) when going through this I remember I remember speaking to Nick uh Nick DeSemlin when I finished it and I was saying did you get typos like oh everyone gets typos and I think that's my worst my worst fear is someone's going to screen grab like the ebook and said oh you got this one wrong it's like I know they're there I know the typos I'm waiting for the second print yeah <laughs> yeah have my, my publishers were actually like don't talk about typos but I feel like again the anxiety in me is like no get ahead of the story yeah <laughs> I am aware yeah. <laughs> if you see a typo I know <laughs> yeah, a document of a hundred thousand words is going to have a typo or two. It's just human nature. It's just uh, you know it's fallibility. Yeah. And I think sometimes again, it's that memory because sometimes I'll you know even you'll you'll remember a film and you're kind of like, have I mem- remembered that correctly, or have I? Is it because I haven't seen it in 10, 10 years that I get it right? So there's a lot of me going back, like, did that happen? Let me just double check that that definitely did happen, or. No, it's, there was a thing where, you know, getting the quotes right as well, like slightly, and sometimes you might get like a word wrong. And I was like, oh God, yeah, I thought I got it. I thought I got it right. I was like, no, quickly change it. Because <laughs> you know, because there can be people could be pedants who are like, like, well, actually, this is actually how it went. It's like, okay. 
Thank you for that, <laughs> Jim. That, that's like a, a Mandela effect, though, isn't it? That, I mean, we have that in our culture where we think that films have lines in them that they don't have. But we, you know, I mean, what's the famous? There's a several. But isn't well, the it's the Luke Empire, Skywalker. Yeah, was the one I was going to mention, the Empire yeah. Strikes Back, you know. Uh, he doesn't say, I am your father, Luke. Yeah. He says yeah. something else. And uh, uh, we remember it because that's the, the sort of the plot point, I guess. Yeah. And I mention it <laughs> and I use that as a metaphor for my own relationship with my <laughs> biological father finding that out. So luckily I didn't quote that specific line. Um, I would have definitely have to double, double check it. Although I did put no and I was like, wait, is this, is the no that Luke says, is, did I write it too emphatically? Like, does he really? And I was like, look, it's got like two, like three O's in it. I'm allowing it. Yeah, that one can pass. I mean, yeah, talking about uh, subjectivity, I mean, I think that's, an, that's an in, always an interesting sort of point of view, especially because, you know, what your book is, is bringing up and sort of uh, emphasizing is that, our subjectivities are very dependent on our lived experience and where we're coming from as, as men, women, as, as gender fluid, as in terms of uh, our experience um, from, uh, from where, you know, where we're from, our ethnicity and, and sexuality and all of those things. So it, mm. it, it's not even like just, oh, things are just subjective as in we all have different tastes. But I mean, one of the things I found was when I go to festivals, people I really admire love the shittest movies and people I really don't admire get get it absolutely right on occasion so you know it's it's sort of no nobody is infallible nobody has sort of a hundred it's just so fascinating to talk to people who I think oh god you know a lot about movies but you keep going on about how chappy is the best movie you've ever seen and uh, you know who you are by the way if you're (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's interesting because because I'm sure you know I, I, I you know I, I don't even call it a guilty pleasure I love Marvel films mm. uh, maybe because it's this child it maybe it's a style draw it's someone who watched you know it's funny I'm kind of <laughs> I'm re-watching X-Men the animated series at the moment um the stuff that I watch on a, you know Saturday morning Spider-Man mm. my brother used to have the comic books and I used to kind of steal them and and I don't know I just I kind of I don't know what it is about that genre which I just really it really it's a comfort to me really and I know mm. that there's you know I know that obviously there are some you know some of it's like trash and some of it also with the way it's just taken a stranglehold over you know what is released what people spend it on you know and even you know will are we going to get fatigue and and certainly in some ways I do have a bit of fatigue um in some areas but you know I think that doesn't mean just because I enjoy that that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy you know like an elephant sitting still you know in that mm-hmm. four hour very quite bleak films you know I think it's it, again it's we don't watch films in a vacuum so there could be any number of things that have gone on in my life that has made it made it so that I enjoy this specific genre of movie but I like the idea that now I'm like I love more far more variety of films than I ever did before and 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 I suppose I come from cinema as a place of you know I don't like writing bad reviews Mm. I don't like going into a film and coming out disappointed I want I I want to 
have that escapism because I think it's it truly is an art form and so so yeah I I, I it's one of those things where now and every time it's where I just don't get it where I'm like I love Malcolm and Marie but a lot of people really hated it and I just yeah. me and my friend I've got a critic friend of mine you know I think a lot of people took issue with it because it seemed to be like criticizing critics I'm like but where's the lie like I just I just don't see why we have an issue with an, a filmmaker using his art to do, do you know deal with the subjects that they relate to and I thought it was quite funny I thought it was quite on the spot on and certain things but or there'll be like other things like Spencer I really did not get on with that movie at all but you know people love it but I mm. just respect you know just respect the fact that we saw different things you know I feel like yeah it's all about the perce- another thing that I feel about a lot is and only after writing the book and I kind of wish I mentioned it because I've just done a piece for Empire about Rashomon but just like that subjectivity of truth and reality and like Mm. our perceptions and I might be seeing the same movie as you but I'm seeing a different movie Mm. and and I think that's maybe that's maybe that's why uh, an easy way to kind of I don't know let people off if they don't like the stuff that you do or you don't and and we don't want uniform taste otherwise that'd be just so boring and bland and you know Absolutely. I mean, I find it easier to have people hate stuff that I love than it is to, to, I find myself really having to restrain myself from popping people's bubbles when they say they love something which is objectively, provably bad. (laughs) But then it's also, but then you see something like The Room, which is, you know, Objectively, objectively bad, bad. bad. <laughs> but it's yeah, amazing but it's the best yeah. film I've ever seen yeah and that's like, and I suppose I don't know I think it's interesting because I think I touch on this a bit because I do that chapter on I suppose social media and the way we can so easily give our opinions and mm. I suppose what do I'm trying to like think like what is the urge to kind of take that something away from them I don't know mm. like you know, I I think I get annoyed when I post something and someone replies and it's like a negative. It's like, oh, what's that urging you to say something completely bad about it? But then I suppose that is just human nature as well, because mm. um, I suppose this side, like understand if we have such an adverse reaction to something, the idea that someone has a positive reaction to it is beyond. And also if we're kind of still stickless and don't get me wrong, there is a good form in criticism, like what should we should be looking at in how we analyze film but then also you have to take the like that emotional thing as well it's like I can watch you know like um um the the film A Simple Twist of Fate Mm. um which I mentioned in the book like the reviews for that at the time were terrible Mm. but I can look back on that film really fondly because it was part of you know it, it was Steve Martin I loved his films especially the family stuff especially stuff about fatherhood because of my own complicated relationship with my my biological father and also with my stepdad so hmm. you know I think there's a there's the kind of there's the mind approach and then there's the heart approach and I suppose it's kind of like accepting us doing trying trying to do our best to I don't know I don't know write it out and then delete it <laughs> like yeah, yeah. save your tweet for drafts but I get I totally get that and I tried to do better at not because I think I have in the past been like you know oh snarky who cares but then you realize like god there's there's humans behind all of these people like everyone's just humans and we can get and I know how I felt when I've had criticism or like had people knock things that I've enjoyed and it's like do I want to give that back so I'm trying not I'm not perfect but like I'm trying to do better at kind of just allowing that feeling or that urge to kind of you know 
go past like fizzle out a bit and then just you know get on with our lives really i think <laughs> i mean another I think... movie <laughs> they never stop coming um i think the um the for me it's it's trying to use use humor i think as a as a way of sort of soft soft you know i try to use sort of hyperbole and stuff like that as a way of sort of uh, allowing people to like what they like and all the rest of it but still be able to sort of get into the rough and tumble of critical uh you know uh, shouting at each other and and what have you. I think the the worst one recently has been about Athena. Yeah. Have you seen Athena? I haven't. I keep, you know, it was one of those things where I want to watch, but it's because it. I didn't hear anything about it, which is really annoying. Classic, classic Netflix kind of situation where this film that everyone's talking about, but actually critics are talking about, but there's literally no promotion at all in the lead up mm. to it, mm. um, which is, can be quite frustrating. So you don't hear about it, but I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I've, I've heard it's like Les Miserables, like kind of La Han. Yeah. It's, it's a really good, um, I, I won't say too much about it because I don't want to spoil it for you, but it, it it's, it's got a lot of cra- crash band wallop and, um, uh, but, but, but after the first sort of rush of people really praising it, it's a bit like La La Land or, or, or Gravity or something like that. After the first rush of people going, oh, this is amazing, people are going, yeah, yeah, but you haven't watched La Han. I, I can see that you haven't watched enough French cinema for you to properly contextualise it. And it's just like, I, I fucking have. <laughs> I absolutely have. Yeah. It's, just that, uh, it's just that I like this as well. You know, somebody uh, was saying, oh, it's all, <laughs> it's all razzle-dazzle. But but also what I find frustrating about that argument, and especially when it comes to showing marginalized stories, is that oh we've already had this. How mm. many <laughs> how many white felt films about like white criminals or like you know working class kind of situations have we seen? We've literally that there is an endless number of these stories that take a toll from a white perspective. But when it's like a specific thing where you can tell this a different story, it's like I find it really frustrating because it just shows you're saying, oh, you're only allowed one at a time. Do you know what I mean? You only have one of those. Mm. And then you kind of just limit anyone from being able to tell that story again. And you know, they're not the same films. Otherwise, it would just be an adaptation. And I find that, you know, this is, we're coming from a place where like Friends with Benefits and No Strings Attached came out at like the same, pretty much like three months within each other, you know. And it's like, there are plenty of films that do the same stories, do it again, but it's like, how are we changing characters? Um, who's the leads in it? And yeah, directors, filmmakers and stuff like that. I just, I find it, yeah, I, I find that kind of conversation and I also think, yeah, there's a lot more pressure when you are talking about when you're telling stories about marginalized communities, because it has to do so much, so much at once, or it has to be like completely like brand new. Otherwise, it, it's just, you know, derivative. And I was like, God, let me point you to this, the, to the canon, <laughs> you know, like Joker, one of the you know biggest movies of the last hour, many, many years. And it's like Shaq's Driver, King of Comedy. Right. <laughs> you know, I know it got criticized for that, but like, you know, it still didn't major majorly well. And it's like, you know, people didn't mind that. A lot of people didn't mind the fact that we'd already seen basically this before or seen this movie this movie done and it's not as good. I mean, I'm absolutely, you know, very publicly not a Joker fan. Um, 
so so yeah yeah I think there is this I suppose there is a kind of the film twitter I, I suppose the kind of that community and it's hard because obviously I feel like I'm a part of it we're a part of it but like against my will <laughs> um, like I, I definitely feel like sometimes <laughs> I definitely feel like sometimes when and the difficulty is that we could have a conversation that we are now and we could watch a movie and have massively different opinions on it but because we're having a conversation we'd be able to have a very you know friendly maybe get a bit heated but you know it'd be all you know we'd be fine with it but when it yeah. comes to social media articulating their thoughts even when you're making a joke someone you know you said you want to make a joke about it some people would say that as like snark you know and it's yeah. like how people interpret it can be really can be lawless out there and so yeah there's sometimes where I've kind of got in a situation where I've had yeah I kind of mentioned a bit like where I've kind of feel like I'm giving very like inoffensive film takes and it just be absolutely like piled on like attacked and you're like oh god like am I like am I wrong am I a bad person like for for sharing Mm. this thought it's like it's not that deep (laughs) yeah you know who you know who liked one fine day do you know who liked one fine day Hitler Hitler liked one fine day Oh, wait, you've kind of cut out a little bit. Yeah, it was. Uh, I heard you know you. <laughs> I heard you say you know who liked one fine day. <laughs> uh, okay, can you hear me now? There's a bit of a delay, I think. Yeah. Do you want us to log out and log back in again? Maybe that might jumpstart it or something. Let's try. I mean, that. I've got full bars on my Wi-Fi. Yeah, me too. So I'll. I'll yeah, let's do that. Yeah? Let's okay, do that. Cool answer that way it might be a lot easier to try <laughs> like know when it's ended when I finish what I'm saying <laughs> yeah that's that that sounds fine and and I I kind of was already sort of trying to do that and not interrupting you too much <laughs> so that um because yeah every time I said something it sort of seemed to to happen about six or seven seconds after I said it so okay I'll start with the last <laughs> I'll start with the last thing I was saying which was you know who liked One Fine Day, Hannah? Hitler. Hitler liked One Fine Day. That was my uh, joke. <laughs> I'm, I, I, honestly, it was worth the wait. <laughs> <laughs> but it is like that, isn't it? It's kind of like, there are things, and don't get me wrong, I mean, I can be like that a bit as well because I suppose uh, I, well, I suppose the things I care about but I try and not do it to people directly mm. <laughs> you know because I you know there's a whole chapter dedicated to um how Arabs are represented on screen and the history of it and so you know when you know when Dune when Dune came out it kind of was very frustrating to me that you know a lot of the reviews wouldn't really take into account you know the like the kind of how much it's ripped off and it you know excluded you know, Middle East and North African actors from this film, where it's obviously, you know, <laughs> you know, people always try and make excuses like it's sci-fi, it's this, it's that. It's like people may say a lot of things just to stop Arabs having any sort of place in cinema that isn't terrorism. And you know, I had people say to me when I when I when I did it, so when I wrote a piece about it, 
someone someone did the classic this is my favorite someone did someone said like um the fret because I said you know Fremen's are obviously supposed to be like Bedouin Arabs whatever it was again like kind of people who were indigenous to North Africa I mean it's called or even the Middle East it's called Arrakis for God's sake um and <laughs> someone's like well <laughs> someone's like well um they are terrorists and I was like you know what that is such a simplistic view of who the Fremen are and if you think that because they say you know because it's the jihad that happens right and it's like but if you think if if you think they're the villains then you obviously don't understand what Dune is actually about everyone is villains mm. everyone's a villain in Dune that's the point of it um and so and then I remember when so that kind of frustrates when you kind of like I can't be asked to get engaged with this because it's like oh I talk about like a bad faith argument like who has the time who has the bandwidth to process that and then, you know, then when they were casting Doom 2 and, you know, the Padasha Emperor, which again, you know, that kind of name, the Padasha is like an Ottoman title for like a leader, you know, mm. even like Persian history. And also, again, it's based on uh, Ibn Khaldun's book, um, The Macadamia, and he talks about Arab civilization and let's not pretend that like there weren't like, you know, Arab uh, colonization there were you know what I mean this is a whole point like I think every kind of civilization has had some point of the kind of indigenous people and then the people like in the metropolitan who kind of like empower you know that whole kind of dysfunction and that dynamic is prevalent in so many ways beyond western colonization um and so when I was like well once again we've got like literally all that all of that cast has been filled with white actors Florence Pugh and um you know Christopher Walken and someone's like well why do you want them to play like colonizers and it's like okay so make your mind up mm, mm. <laughs> you could even want us to not play the Fremen because they're terrorists or you want us to not play the like you know the, the emperor or any of that because they're colonizers like just just say you just don't give a shit about Arabs and let's just call it quits because <laughs> that's what basically is and it's it can be sometimes quite frustrating when you you know then there's a like kind of a lack of acknowledgement and I suppose you know it's this is why I feel very, it was so important for me to cover this in my book because, you know, there has been writing on it, as I mentioned, you know, Edward Said, Edward Said Jack Shaheen, like there are mm. plenty of like Middle Eastern, North Africa, and I think we might say Swana nowadays, Southwest Asia, North Africa, but there are plenty of people out there, but we just don't have like the voice and we just don't have people care because of the basic, I kind of think it's a lot about like geopolitics as well, you know, if you and, and how cinema has kind of like cemented this view that we are kind of other you know the thing about Athena what's interesting is like that's a great film uh well that one well, it's, it's been said it's a great film and it's like oh god it's getting in it's like Lahan it's like Linda Zaraba and it's like I kind of like yeah but I'm sure it will be and I can't wait to see it but I kind of can we just have like why does everything have to be wrapped up in trauma when it comes to like mm. people of my heritage you know, I want to, you know, I want to laugh. I want to have fun. I want to, you know, I I feel like, you know, we see when, you know, Sylvie's Love is a great example of like a, a black film where it's about romance and there's not got this hangover of oppression that's fundamentally like, you know, do you know what I mean? That kind of, it's just nice to have like a love story between two black people where it's not you know, wrought with, you know, undertones of slavery and all that when it comes to this black joy right so I'm like I mm. want Arab joy and I want these films but I just don't want them to be the only films and I want to see mainstream you know I want to see mainstream movies and direct white directors who are basically borrowing from these cultures or not even are trying to ignore it or erase the origins where these stories come from I feel like we do that a lot um and I think you know when it comes to you know 
Arab, Middle East, North African stories. You know, it's so funny how much we shoot in these regions, Jordan, Wadi Ram, like, like all those places. And yet we will not um, put people from those regions in the center of the narrative. You know, yeah. I just think it's funny with Star Wars. Like I went to Mos Espa recently. I went to Tunisia recently. I saw your pictures. And I was like, why, how, how, how tattooing yeah well yeah it was I had to do it with my little Obi-Wan the Kenobi doll it was it was so funny someone there was like oh can I take a picture like because I brought it she was oh can I take a picture of him and I was a bit like no get your own Obi-Wan Kenobi <laughs> but I don't want to be a dick so I like that but I was like you best not post it on social media don't steal my thunder on this but I'm there and I'm basically like <laughs> but I'm, I'm there I'm like how are there so many white people on Tatooine like they would be sunburned because <laughs> it's so hot do you know what I mean when you were in the actual desert and like there's you're know, baking and you're like white people would not survive here why are there so many Literal white people in these desert locations <laughs> like it doesn't make sense but you know again as I said you can have space Arabs as long as they're not Arabs <laughs> yeah but do you know what I mean but like show them that way show them like <laughs> be like rednecks but they don't it's like yeah it's you know the emphasis on you know science fiction there's a science fiction there for you white people in deserts <laughs> well I, I think that's fascinating as well because science fiction is such a an unlimited imagination when it comes to to many many things and then so limited when it comes to gender relations and race relations and race casting and and all that all that stuff um i mean i'm reading ursula k Le Guin at the moment and it's just like wow she really knows how to how to use science fiction to really push the boundaries of our thinking and it what's depressing is she's doing it in the 1960s and nobody else has you know blade runner 2049 is a is an example of really old tired cliche gender relations and and it's been made recently you know yeah yeah but uh, you know it's i mentioned you know i love blade runner <laughs> but i mentioned in the book like really scott i mean really scott as a filmmaker oh god i love him <laughs> and he's made some great films but there is a lot of things where he's kind of just had blinkers on mm. when it comes to certain representation like you know i uh, you know it's not science fiction but gladiator it was interesting reading about that and learning that actually they're there in which I mentioned the book that their actual historical consultant was very surprised that um they feet they it featured Arab slavers in it picking up Maximus when they weren't even around in that area it's like let's just pick and choose what we want to put in to make story stories you know and Blade Runner you know the history of that um you know how you know talk about the ravish ravishing in films and sean young it's funny i actually interviewed sean young for for empire magazine for a feature very interesting person <laughs> a lot of stuff didn't make the cut probably mm. couldn't because it's you know it's interesting as a as i don't know how would i say how would i say it she'd obviously been through a lot in her career and i kind of believe a lot of stuff she said but she had certain things that are quite problematic that i was like oh we probably won't put that in uh this time i'll probably i'll tell you i'll tell you uh off the record okay. maybe what she said but but even that her experience of like being being you know somewhat brutalized in that scene uh between decker uh oh god her name's escaped me now uh rachel um right rachel yes so that scene it kind of like how in the moment she kind of felt that it seemed to be somewhat payback <laughs> like because mm. she turned allegedly turned down his Scott's uh, advances and so we see that scene and you kind of look at it with that when you look at it with that knowledge you kind of like see it and you're like oh wow that is a bit slightly messed up 
Um, but what does that teach us about how we, what we, what we understand about sexual relations between men and women in general? Like, what are we conditioned to see? And I suppose again with sci-fi, you know, I, uh, you know, as you said, like how we present it. Why is it? Who is it? Is it Carl Sagan who said years ago? You know, talking about Star Wars, um, and he he was like, "Well, why does everyone look like me? <laughs> this is mm. a galaxy far, far away. Why is everyone white?" <laughs> and mm. you know, even watching um, Andor recently, which I God, it's amazing. It felt like the first time truly that we've you know, I love the Mandalorian, but like this felt like, oh, I I'm really interested in this story because it feels like untapped territory, and it feels like Tony Gilroy as a showrunner is really kind of really making Star Wars political again mm. in a very obvious way rather than, you know, quite, you know, vague. Like, I think a lot of people, you know, it's so funny that we've got to a point where people say, don't make Star Wars political. It's like, it's always been goddamn political. <laughs> like, that is like the Viet Cong versus America. Like, that's what it's supposed to be about. And obviously, you know, it's ripped off to June as well. Um, but I don't mm. know about that enough. Um, but like, in Andor, what was interesting for me was again there's a amazing episode three was so beautifully executed yet there's only like two female characters in it and even i'm not talking just like speaking characters but you notice even in the back hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ground like, you know, the, the, the corporate soldiers or corporate police force, you know, all of them are men, mm. you know, every most, like, there's probably about 70, 80% of the people you see or even have speaking lines are men. And you're just like this, you have, why are we still in this world? Why, why are we still in this? Why are we projecting our specific kind of society into a galaxy far away? Can't we like, expand on that can't we do it differently can't we you know I love that I loved in that series in the series in the in the episode because we see in the indigenous planet where um where Andor is from it's like a woman leading it but it's such a small scene you're like well why can't this be everywhere why does it have to be still projecting our patriarchal society uh in, in another world when the possibilities are endless so so yeah, it can be quite frustrating where actually sci-fi is like let's just put a spaceship and then just do you know 80s, 80s England. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this I, don't, I hate to bang on about Le Guin, but well, I don't. I love I love her as a writer and as a thinker. But I mean, just she has a simple thing where marriages on the one of the planets she's talking about are between four different people, and and you just go, huh? That's that. There's an idea that, and 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 in some ways, 
that kind of makes more sense when you have people who uh, who, who who have you know the the nuclear family is no longer um, as sort of ubiquitous or as universal as it used to be, or indeed if it ever was actually. John, can you just repeat that again because it was really crackly. Sure, sure. Um, so it. Uh, Ursula Le Guin, she's talking about a planner in which uh, the family unit, a marriage, essentially, is between four people. So it's two men, two women, uh, and and it, and and they they have sex, you know, uh, interchangeably. Let's say, and it's just it just shakes up. You think, well, okay, and it's normal. It's not like this is whoa, look at this freak show. It for that planner that's normal and the idea of having just a couple is a little bit odd you know so yeah. just that just stretching those possibilities where why why would every planner have you know yeah. a 19th century idea of what a family should be Did that, no, did that exactly that's and you know a lot of people didn't like Thor um Thor Love and Thunder but I did think it was quite good that like the kind of at least that tried to you know shake up how you know with Cork <laughs> like, yeah. you know it's a kind of shame in that movie that that's the only kind of I suppose LGBTQ representation like in it even though Valkyrie is supposed to be a character that's you know, you can definitely see the Disney senses all over that. I'm sure they did a scene where Valkyrie kisses a girl on the on the lips. But you know, even having that bit, it's like, oh yeah, yeah. Look, it's science fiction. They can literally make up anything that they want. Um, I'm trying to think. There was this book, I, this book of stories, a book of short stories I read recently um, by Malka Older, um, and it is it was really amazing how she does. Like, it's all science fiction, and it was it, it was there was a story in it is in it where like there's people from in from england from earth mm. and like in that they meet you know extraterrestrial alien you know race and and actually the women are the leaders and in the, the way that um and it was so interesting how and i feel like god i'm in this position where i'm like do i want to give spoils away but there's <laughs> there's an element about like how she's trying to mask her emotions because she's been taught by um, male leaders that you need to just not give anything away mm. and then so she goes there she's an expert on this so-called you know alien race and then it turns out actually um, th their whole leadership is about emotion that that's why women are leaders because they're emotionally led so it's, it's such an interesting idea that like actually emotion in this like world that's what's celebrated in this race it's celebrated to wear your emotions and your trauma and your grief you know on your sleeve rather than holding it away all in I was like oh that's such an interesting way to look at sci-fi I mean you know I kept reading that book I'm like god I'd love to see any number of these like short stories adapted into a film yeah that, that, that's that's I mean that's the, it's just about imaginative possibilities and it's also like it's it's out there in the world there are loads of places which have huge cultural differences and you know that's sometimes why we go why we go to see films but um but just to change change tack a little bit the um one of the things that really impressed me about the 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 book was the idea that you're using film as well to talk about things which are very intimate we already talked about like uh um the shaving already um uh, so, uh 
female hair and, and all those ideas. And you get into sex, you get into masturbation, and it's and it's done really well and really interestingly. And that that sort of struck me as such a bold uh, a bold place to go because that's sort of something that I would certainly sort of hesitate or, or feel feel not weird necessarily, but just feel exposed by uh, about writing. So I mean, kudos. Yeah. Oh well, thank you. It's funny. My when my mum read the book because obviously I do a whole chapter on motherhood and there's mm. obviously a lot of personal issues. Uh, information in there and feelings and emotions and and she, you know it was funny when she came away from it the thing that she was most concerned about was actually like are you okay with ha having people know about your sex life mm. and I was like oh that's the thing I care least about <laughs> because I I think um I just uh, you know I, don't get me wrong I it's interesting there are things that I would say in this book that I wouldn't just tweet about because <laughs> mm. I feel like I don't know I feel like this is specific for this book and I can do it I don't you know I think sometimes 280 characters seems a bit you can't really get into it whereas this I actually had space to explore it and you know have my own voice in it where you know I'm not going to get it picked apart like if I posted a tweet or something but for me it felt like I can't be the sex positive I feel like sex positive voice and you know want to champion that and see more representation and hopefully like have you know, again, like I know, I hope that people reading this will find, hopefully, feel more emboldened to embrace their own sex life as well. Because for many years, I hadn't. I was, you know, as I say in the book, there are some things where I used to not center myself in romantic relationships, didn't know how to orgasm, or you know, all these different things that I think for too long, you know, sex has been treated as this taboo, and we've only cinema has only really presented a very masculine view of view of sex, um, and so. Yeah, for me, that was, that was quite funny. But also, as you know, mm. you mentioned earlier, like, you know, like humor, being able to talk about stuff with humor. And for me, that was the biggest thing about writing this is that, um, and maybe I, I kind of say this a lot, but I'm kind of like Chandler Bing when it comes to uncomfortable subjects, I always try and make a joke out of it. Uh, maybe <laughs> it's like a defense mechanism. It's like, well, I'm taking this out of myself, so you can't. <laughs> so, so yeah, there's definitely element of trying to make it a bit jokey and I don't know maybe that makes it a bit more accessible like hey it's weird and it's uncomfortable and it's awkward and like that's you know that's what I love seeing on screen so I feel like if I wasn't as open I if I wasn't as open I wouldn't be it wouldn't be as authentic to the story that I really wanted to tell so so yeah that was talking about my sex life I, I suppose there's things I definitely didn't put in like I, I kind of wanted to avoid too many you know, specific anecdotes. Um, I don't know, there's things, things that I just didn't want to just throw in for the sake of throwing it in. Mm. I think, you know, again, this is, it's memoir, but it's not, um, you know, it, it, the, the, the anecdotes are there for a reason. And I could just have like thrown it in, you know, done a load of like, oh, this sexy and this actor I banged or whatever like that. But it had to be kind of, I wanted to make it a bit more concise. So it, it, it had a point rather than just you know throwing things in for the sake of throwing things in who knows you know maybe I'll the next book I'll get into more detail <laughs> <laughs> um but actually it's, for me the hardest thing I suppose the hardest thing is writing about um writing about I suppose my my family stuff that was the hardest thing because you know you want to be honest but you also want to respect those certain things I didn't want to divulge on you know this is it's not just me I'm writing about you know it, I'm writing about other people in my life and 
or obviously not in my life in the case of my biological father. So mm. I wanted to be really mindful that I was being truthful to the situation, but not, you know, letting everything hang out um, because I don't want, cause you just, yeah, you just don't know if some, you know, again, my mum's a public figure. Um, mm. And so the idea that I don't want to write anything that could potentially be used like against her or anything, not, not, I think it is, but I think, you know, the, the, our relationships with our parents, you know, no matter who they are, you know, there is, then they're not perfect. And I think, you know, for me, it was really important to contextualize like where my mom had come from as well, like what her upbringing was like mm. and how that had an effect on how she might raise me or like what she's going through and trying to have that context as well. So, but yeah, I remember when I was writing it, um, no, I did actually have to, I was like, mom, you can get copy approval. And it was quite tense sometimes because there's a lot of things mm. when I wrote it, when I wrote the original stuff, especially for her to look back at the time when um, we're talking about when, you know, when she was with my biological father in that period, it did kind of, there's a lot of memories she suppressed. So it was quite an emotional time for her to read this stuff. But ultimately she was, you know, she was, she cried, she laughed. So, <laughs> <laughs> and she's proud of it anyway, but but yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it is interesting because I feel like, you know, the biggest inspiration for me writing this really was a combination of like Roxanne Gay's um, Bad Feminist. And, mm. um, and, and also I remember reading Caitlin Moran's um, How to Be a Woman years ago. Mm. And, you know, she was very open and honest and made a joke out of it. And I thought, you know, yeah, I could do that. And also my experience is very unique to me. So I suppose in a way I was kind of trying to write the book and I don't, you know, uh, I, but I don't think there has been, oh God, not to, maybe there has been a book like this, but I feel like how I've done it to do this memoir with the movie commentary and stuff like that. I, I don't think I've, well, I haven't read anything like that. So I was trying to write, write a book that I would have loved to have read when I was younger. You know what I mean? The, the book that would have yeah. like made me feel okay. Like I was really, really, I'm really writing it for my teenage self, to be honest, if, if anything. Um, so, so yeah, so it's trying to be like as relatable, authentic, but also knowing there's, you know, I don't have to put everything about everything. It's like, I don't have to have every single movie reference in it. I don't have to put sure. every single part of myself in this book. Um, I just, what's relevant to telling this story and hopefully kind of making the points that I wanted to make. And it's, uh, I mean, it's so interesting because it's like, um, I, I think it, what it brought back to me, and obviously I'm from a really different sort of uh, gem, generation as much as anything else, but what um, what it brought back to me is just how much you learn from the movies, how much the mo you look to the movies to escape, yes, but almost how much you look to the movies to go, what is a relationship? What should I feel what what should I look like? What is cool? What what is the definition of asshole according to Bruce Willis? You know, what yeah. where do I get these? And so and you and and you're not sitting there thinking, oh, this is ideological and I'm gonna get it. You're sitting there just thinking this is the way the world is. So of course it's the perfect moment for ideologies to sort of seep in without you because you're so unguarded when you're watching films. So that's yeah. what I I found with this this book um, was just appreciating how uh, the impact of films and how they intertwine with with even the most. I'll give you an example. Actually, going to the going to the um, the sort of uh, the the more intimate side. The, to to speak euphemistically, I guess, uh, being a little bit. But like, 
I wanted to do a, a video essay with Lee Singer, who does all these wonderful uh, video essays. And I proposed to him one about male masturbation, because whenever it's on screen, male masturbation is is seen as being like either Fanafana American Pie or mm. Kevin Spacey in American Beauty. What a des- what what a sad wanker! Literally, what a sad wanker! Um, so when I was reading your your chapter about masturbation, I was sort of going, "Ah, oh, there's a there's a." I, there's a bit here that I could say about blokes, but of course that's mm. because I'm a bloke watching those, watching men wanking and thinking, <laughs> you know, and then you see call me by your name and it's like, ah, there you go. That's how you do it. <laughs> One second, John, just, I think my dad's just coming into the flat. Okay. Hi, sorry. Are you a bit sorry yeah, yeah, don't worry. Sorry. <laughs> I'm by the front door so I can hear like scratching. Um, <laughs> No, but that's that. That I think you're totally right. Like I, 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 you know, I, I, I suppose when I'm looking at masturbation, I'm not really looking at the. Me- I mean, I'm so used to seeing it, so I can't. I don't really know it's nuance because I've never, you know, masturbated with a penis. So, <laughs> my own penis. but I think that's the thing, and it, it, it's. But it's it. It has. But what you do notice is when there's such um, yeah, we get these stereotypes, and this is the problem. It's that we create these tropes and then and and they become cliches and repeat them and then they become the norm and then suddenly how do we move away from that how do we show actually that's not really realistic you know there's a lot of things where yeah definitely when it comes it's interesting like I can definitely say with male characters is that you know there's a certain type this certain type of action here this kind of stoic kind of that's the way it's supposed to be and there's not a lot of emotion you know what I mean that mm. kind of not room for that and I, mm. I feel like nowadays we are having that far more for having more like we're moving part of these stock characters and I think what I was trying to do in this is like how much these stock characters again like you said like well as I tried to say as well it's like there is such an influence because when you're not having conversations at home when you know sex education is so small <laughs> and it's such a again still such a true thing that you look to what's on screen and you know looking at porn as well it's important for me to kind of look at that subject because mm. you know that has that's that's technically that's still their films their movies you know it's still using the same techniques as they would whether it's boogie nights or you know whatever's on you porn these days but so it's it's kind of how do we how do how do we acknowledge that and then maybe kind of work against and see how we can improve and try to break those cycles and again try and move from these kind of stiff box stiff boxes but like if we could try and like broaden our understanding so that so that we can feel really and suit and be what's honest because again you know obviously when it comes to fiction and even non-fiction what we see on screen there is a story to be told there is you know artistic license but Mm. I think so often nowadays we we're so influenced by what we see on screen that we see that as truth (laughs) um of the situation in so many ways it can Mm. be but if we're kind of perpetuating fallacies then you know how do we evolve and grow and progress and you know and I feel like a lot of the time we're quite stunted and it takes and this is why I think so what's so good about criticism and having more voices in it because you know if you've got still people telling you the same thing you're never going to know otherwise, you know? And I feel mm. like that's why I think it's important to have these, to understand the art that we put out there, that actually we can can discuss something, we can love something, but also understand where it maybe perpetuates bad things, even while it's a really entertaining kind of film, you know? I love mm. American Pie, but come on, that whole scene with Nadia is kind of, 
kind of gross when you think about in the cold light, cold light of 2022. I would even say like earlier than that, I think a lot of people felt like, oh, this is a bit awkward. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's not about like totally shitting on films that might have, um, you know, sense you know, our taste-wise or sensibilities have changed because, you know, we can't go back and change time. I can't go back and, you know, stop, you know, um, stop Alec, Alec Guinness doing brown face to be in Lawrence of Arabia. But, mm. you know, I think we can understand why we don't do that anymore. You know, why, why yeah. there's a reason why we don't do these things. But there are a lot of things where there's, where it's, you know, we are in this gray area when it comes because we've got so much more content and we've kind of moved on a bit it's like there's so much there's such a gray area now so it takes a bit more precision to understand how these kind of covert um kind of prejudices or kind of misrepresentations or depictions can actually um like penetrate the wilder culture and wider society and kind of keep them from progressing rather than thinking actually we should probably nip that in the bud mm. Mm, absolutely <laughs> i mean yeah yeah there it's it's i don't know i come from literature so i find i i don't have much of a problem with this sort of uh separating art from the artist sort of thing i don't even feel the need to do that i can i can you know i can appreciate stuff uh made by terrible people you know um it's it's a conversation we need to have and it's a conversation yeah. and it needs to be out there and expressed but um I, it's never sort of stopped me from from you know from from watching stuff yeah don't get me wrong like i mean bad people make great art there yeah. are bad people in the world yeah, like, yeah. and i think what we've seen with hollywood there are a lot of them there yeah um you know you don't have to be a good person to make great art you know um, but I think there's something about what I feel like now is what do I choose? Do I need to watch it? Like sure. you know, there's this thing like, do we need, when I think about all the films that I haven't seen, you know, I was thinking of, there's a bit in it where I talk about, about, um, uh, I talk about um, in the chapter on kind of like me too. And like the representation of like rape and sexual assault mm. and rape culture and cinema, but also looking at the behind the scenes or, or something. And I remember, you know, Hitchcock I can appreciate mm. that he's a great filmmaker but again when you think about what went into that film do I need to watch it do I want to watch some of this stuff that might be like okay maybe I watch it once do I need to keep watching it again or could I watch someone who maybe hasn't sexually assaulted his actresses or you know done psychological warfare <laughs> against them as well like do I need to watch that in my life are there a million things and that's just my personal choice I would never you know I, there are people now who you know, one of the things I, I won't do is, you know, Roman Polanski for me, I don't want to watch any of his films because he is a convicted rapist, pedophile, and he's never served his time for um, for that conviction. He ran away. And whether you believe, you know, he was he was given too harsh a you know, sentence, blah, 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 all that. He did it. <laughs> and I feel like if he wasn't a filmmaker, if he wasn't a great artiste, everyone, if he was just, you know, a plumber, everyone would be like, no, you need to go to jail. Do you know what I mean? Like he wouldn't get away mm. with it. I feel like mm. we need to also understand that just because someone makes great art doesn't mean that they are above being held to account for the pain they might have caused off screen. And, you know, the fact is we, I can't stop him making, you know, movies now. No one can, because he's obviously still making it. But I can choose not to watch any of his films and not try and endorse it. And that's how I feel about, 
certain filmmakers because there are so many others out there. We were in literally the best time, really, when you think about it. We've got more choice than we've ever had in the history of cinema, um, more filmmakers and filmmakers who might not have historically got the opportunities. I'm thinking about all the filmmakers who might, who have, you know, there's a great um, documentary called Half the Picture and it interviews mm. a lot of female directors and like, you know, like Mary Harron or, you know, Mary Lambert, these like, he did great films and they haven't had the same opportunity as their male counterparts. You know, and I think that's I, that makes me sad. You know, the fact that there's a lot of filmmakers out there who are terrible people, terrible, harmful people, but they've had every opportunity to make the movies that they want to do. Whereas people, other, you know, whether you're a woman or person of color, you know, any other kind of, you know, intersectional from an intersectional background, they haven't had the opportunity. So I'd rather spend my time trying to learn about that and seeing film for what you know those stories. See those stories being told, then you know watch Polanski basically do a thinly veiled kind of uh, defense <laughs> through French history <laughs> of an yeah. old, old, old story about someone being falsely accused of something. It's like, oh God, <laughs> I don't need that in my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's, that's a, valid, um, a valid position. And um, I don't, you know, I don't, I just find, I just find that I'm, I'm very, I don't know, I suppose this is, this goes with, this, this is, and this is a very personal sort of opinion. I don't, I don't see it as, as dictating what anybody else has to do, but I'm just one of those people who I have to, I, I have to see stuff. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember very early on in the, in the days of the, of the internet when Saddam Hussein's execution was online and I thought, I've got to see that. I mean, now I don't know why I have to see that, but I, I, it, I can, I don't know. I can remove the context of something from the thing itself. And well, that's what Nope is all about, right? <laughs> uh, I've not seen it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's well, all about um, Saddam Hussein. No, yeah, it is. It's actually, wow. that's the spoiler. That's the twist. <laughs> that's the twist. It's kind of insane. No, but it's about the spectacle. Right, about I see. Our, our, why we're so, you know, why anything that can be, we're kind of desperate to see maybe also, there may be something also because it's like there's the taboo of it. Like we're mm. not supposed to see it. Oh, know? yeah, absolutely. 100%. I mean, I'm a, I come from a Catholic background, so it's like, you know, tell me not to do something and that's immediately what I'm going to do. You just go to confessional weekend, do seven Hail Marys, then you're good. <laughs> exactly. I miss it so much. <laughs> but I, I think that there is, you know, it's like sometimes I find, do you remember, you know, when there was like that, the hack of where all these women's, all these actresses, you know, oh, yeah. those against online. The, the you fact. Know, Fappening, yeah, the fappening, right? Yes. And like everyone's searching and googling it, and like we all did it, and it's like we've got this morbid curiosity as well. Mm. And I suppose there is that need, but I suppose for me, again, I think it because I do find that I do have this emotion. Like I find it really difficult to watch anything Johnny Depp is in now. Mm. I remember after I remember seeing Murder on the Orient Express, and it was just after the whole stuff because I remember being in the newsroom when all the stuff was going down with with the divorce and you could see it from very early on how much his team had kind of, you know, you can see the PR spin, you can right. see the crisis management work and you can see who, where it was coming from. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know you or your listeners, but I'm very much, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm sure I wouldn't like Amber Heard as a person, mm. but I 100%, uh, you know, side with 
the what her accusations especially as in a uk court it was mm. proved like he proved it anyway beside that but i remember seeing murder on the orient express and just thinking oh god he just just leaves a bad taste in my mouth now mm. and i enjoy it less so it's kind of like i want to avoid things where i just i just don't i i watch fast i'm gonna go in and just not enjoy it like mel gibson like i want to see a movie with mel gibson in like when i saw mm. daddy's home too i was like oh this guy <laughs> do you mm. know what i mean it's like mm. and that's just me personally obviously everyone has their own own relationship to those to those things so you know i'm not gonna you know i'd never kind of like i might eye roll a bit but i would never like call someone out for doing that but mm. i do think there is something to be said about like what we cover as media what we choose to cover as media outlets because when i think about like when it comes to reviews from festivals it's always interesting to me it's like what um what was it recently the louis ck <laughs> like mm. if you get a it's like oh they'll review a louis ck film but they won't review any number of these films with unproblematic people but like variety will do a louis ck review and they mm. you know they've only got a certain amount they can obviously nowadays there's only a certain amount of films they can review but they'll do that one because they'll get more clicks for it you know what i mean that's that's the culture they want to get more views and therefore more ad sales blah 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 that's why they're doing it and yeah. it kind of makes me kind of that makes me sad because actually i feel that's less about i want to see the art it's more about oh well i'll what will i get from doing this there's a kind of i suppose like a it feels less authentically, less pure, I suppose, about mm. wanting to cover it. Whether you say, I just want to watch everything. No, I want to review the films. That's why, you know, it's so interesting nowadays about when you see, you know, film festivals where they're having a lot of films from streaming services or stuff that's already got a theatrical release and they're getting covered when they'll already get covered by the time yeah. you know, the dispute comes out. So it's kind of sad to me, like, we'll get these early things, like everyone's going to cover don't worry darling or all these films that you know warner bros and disney or you know netflix are all producing like all going to be releasing like this they're, they're secure what needs to be covered a lot more is the ones that aren't but you know it's kind of difficult when i for me as a freelancer you know what what films do i get to do i ever get the opportunity to cover or review you know one of the great things with the new arab uh, as an outlet that I write for is that I get to cover a lot of Middle East and North African fil films which mm. I never get asked to review in any other which I mentioned in the book I don't I've, I haven't been asked to do a review I think it was one time I was covering a column and I managed to do something at the Dardenne brothers um young Ahmed, uh, um, Ahmed but I didn't really like that film and again white filmmakers I like, hate the Dardens. I hate them so but I like Rosetta, <laughs> Rosetta. Uh, I've not seen Rosetta so I might I might be biased because of that <laughs> That one, that one was a great one. I really enjoyed that. Okay. And again, that's why I mentioned it in the when I talk about mother. It's like, oh wow, this is quite. Again, you kind of see even things you see recently. You're like, oh, oh, that real. That's how I wonder how like how I can relate that to my own, you know, my own life and my mom and all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, so so it's interesting the where what the position you are as a film writer or critic. Mm. There's the stuff that you'd love to cover and what you're allowed to cover. Cover. And I suppose I could, you know, write for free. But again, this is my career. You know, if I, you know, I can't, I'm in a position where I don't really want to write for free. Or you want, you wash your mouth out. Wash your mouth out straight away. Write for I don't free. Know, right, I, well, this is the thing. Like someone said to me, someone said to me, oh, do you do reviews on Letterboxd? And I'm like, do I get paid? Yeah. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I mean, I keep a little spreadsheet of all my films I've watched. And actually, I, I thought for the book, I might do, I've created a list of all the films that I reference, all the ones that are actually on spot, um, on Letterboxd. And mm. that way people can maybe kind of look at, um, refer to that list and maybe tick things off. 
but yeah, I just it's 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 difficult when you write for a living, write for writing for yourself. I mean, yeah, doing this book was intense, yeah. and I did not get paid hardly anything compared to what I paid for my freelance work as a critic and you know journalist. Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the worst one, the, the one I recently had to do, not necessarily the worst one, but I had to do a review for Sight and Sound for Kim Ki Duk's uh, final film before he was, uh, before he died of COVID at the age of 59. Yeah. And the accusations against him are, are, are vile. I mean, he's he's been, a, he, he's he's behaved, I think, in a fairly, a fairly rotten way. Um, and it, and I mean, it's the weird thing that I have of sort of when you ha- have someone who's sort of more than a controversial figure, of sort of someone with with credible accusations against them, uh, against him usually, um, then it's such a relief when the film isn't that good. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it's like Woody Allen's really helped me out by not making a decent film for the last 10, <laughs> 10 15 years. But, you know, but I can't deny I love Woody Allen movies and, and have, you know, he was a formative influence, you know, on me. But I, you know, um, I just don't, I don't know if they can be sort of taken, taken away in the sort of reverse version of the rapture where we just sort of get rid of them because uh, I don't know. I'm I don't not, know if it's getting rid of them. It's just like looking at, it, looking at other people, but but that's what I mean. Like, I feel like, you know, you know, people who study again, you know, from what you hear and stuff, like most people's, when I hear about people's curriculums, I remember someone actually who was doing film at university and she mm. DM me and she goes, Oh, you know, I'm having a bit of an issue because like I'm doing a course and every single person on that course is like a white man. And mm. I feel like I want to say something. It's like, well, you should say something. Like, who decides what, you know, again, like, no one's taken away. What do you, luckily, we live in a world where everything's, you know, we have the library, you know, we have everything's yeah. available. No one's erasing Woody Allen. No one's going back and saying Manhattan is not a fantastic movie or, you know, Annie Hall and all that. You know, I love Midnight in Paris. Like, that was an amazing movie. It makes me kind of mm. like, and, you know, no, no one's taking that away from them. But maybe it's kind of, maybe it's kind of, within hindsight, we're saying, okay, but who else was around at that time? Who else can we also champion? I think it's having the context that comes with it. It's like, you know, when we look at, you know, because I see that argument the same way when people call out, when people are talking about the hist- British history, and actually mm. we're talking about like, when people say, actually, can we acknowledge the fact that, you know, when that statue, that slave owner statue in Bristol got pushed into the, um, uh, into this, into the river, or the fact that now these heritage sites, when it comes to history, they're acknowledging where these things have come from, where the wealth come, from, wealth come from. It came from, you know, slavers who earn money from whatever, I don't know, sugar farm plantations or whatever or that. And it, mm. that's how they built these but built these towns up, you know. And it's and and that's what I think it is. It's adding the context about like who they are at that time as well. So I feel mm. like I don't feel like it's about erasing. I think it's just let's just n- not ignore the other stuff. I mean I mentioned in my book I talk about the time when like a, you know when Sean Connery died and um mm. You know, I love Sean Connery. Like, Sean Connery is, like, the dude. Like, I love him in, you know, I love that first night. You know, the, the Richard Gere. <laughs> the Richard Gere, right. Yeah, love that film. Like, The Rock. Like, you know, there are so many films apart from James Bond that I love. And when I kind of tweeted, like, you know, when he died, I was like, oh, you know, RFP, you know, uh, I said a problematic, uh, problematic fave who might have shared a little bit too much in common with 
the the machismo or something like that about James Bond. Mm. Right? I thought I was very clear to say I love him, but you also might have been because he's admitted to like slapping his wife and being mm. quite mis- a lot of misogyny. God, the the attacks I got on that, the mm. like the trolling I got for saying that, and it was like there are people actually calling him a wife beater, and like me being a very trying to take a very diplomatic approach to wanting to acknowledge someone, you know, acknowledge someone who I've adored, but also the fact that, yeah, they're problematic as well. Like they've had, a, mm. they've had a, you know, iffy history when it comes to how they've treated women off screen, you know, because I think there's this, I, we, especially with actors, you know, we see them on screen, we idolise them, we can't imagine that they could be doing terrible things behind the scene, but they're not the characters that they play, you know, they're just, mm. that's, that's the performance, right? These are the yeah. real people. And so I feel like a lot, you know, there's a lot of people think, you know, you know, oh, you're just trying to erase it or you're trying to change history. No, we're just trying to show the real history, not the whitewashed version of it. That is palatable to people who kind of want to maintain this kind of nostalgic view uh, rather than just acknowledging that actually people aren't perfect. You know, they're, mm. they're people. And I and I that's that that's what I feel like for me. You know, uh, you know, I do think there is, you know, we, you can talk about like council culture and that, but I also think it's just consequence culture. And I feel like a lot of people who complain about, oh, we're, you know, we're trying to raise, you know, these people off the curric- curriculum or this type of stuff. It's like, no, maybe it's just like making more space to understand that, um, you know, again, like when you look at, you know, I think um, Helena Hara's book, Women in Hollywood, really just shows how much women have been, you know, have been erased from the conversation and we need books like hers to show that no, they, they are within the very like foundation of what old cinema used to be until men came in and you know kicked them out and it's like it's sad to me that I didn't know a lot of these filmmakers names these female filmmakers names because again who are the people that we champion mm. <laughs> who are the ones who get keep on hitting the 100 greatest films list you know yeah. like we you know that's that's the problem we live in um, that's the kind of struggle we have right now so but again it's a really complicated um there's no black and white answer to it really yeah no i i I, tell you the truth i i uh i totally agree with everything you said there i mean i don't uh, i have no because that's the correct answer (laughs) well uh, you know that's i was expecting no less i mean i I, i'm always i'm always ready to i always assume i'm wrong but I, i i go because you know i go ahead because it's uh you know every mistake is a is an opportunity to learn so I was having this conversation now if we had this on social media I'm sure it could descend into like us taking you know taking tone like thinking oh wait are we actually this seems like an argument and it's not it's like a discussion to have this dialogue with people rather than that take it offline rather than you know, trying to do it in 280 characters. And then oh, absolutely. And then blocking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never block. I just mute. <laughs> I, I, I might I might soft block. Yeah, yeah. Get soft. them like, like, stop following me. That's why I also don't understand. It's like, don't follow me. Yeah. You are here. People who follow, who, what's I think is so funny is like, people who will follow you, you don't follow them back. Um, and they'll say something to you and you're like, I don't even know who you are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't owe you a conversation. <laughs> I don't owe you anything. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting where that, how that, the kind of like the etiquette has kind of somewhat been lost on social media. But, you know, this is why I really enjoy chatting about these things now. Because yeah. I think it's really interesting, interesting to hear those opposing views. But when you realise it, most of us kind of all kind of agree. We just 
say it in different ways. Well, we all want, like, it reminds me of what Shirley Jackson once uh, wrote to a, a reader who complained about her short story, The Lottery. She said, um, if you don't like my peaches, why did you shake my tree? <laughs> <laughs> That is so, that is so, so, so true. That's so true. And I think that's so interesting that, because because that reminds me of like the kind of, um, who are, who, there's a conversation with like, who are reviews for? Mm. Like, because I don't, I don't know about you, but when you review a film, you know, my, I, I don't expect the, the filmmakers to read it, you know, mm, unless it's no. amazing and then I want them to see it and then I want them to like, you know remember my name <laughs> uh, yeah invite invite you for dinner at christmas yeah let me oh like you want that. me to host your uh, award season q a sure, <laughs> sure 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 i'll fly to la thank you <laughs> but who, who do you think they are for then the uh the the reviews that we're writing the stuff that we're doing uh, for, for, for audience guys for movie watchers I, right i feel right. like that's you know because i feel it's interesting because when i as, as someone who's I suppose it's different as a professional in the industry or people who write stuff. I'm very aware of not reading reviews before I've come to have seen the movie because I don't mm. want to have that influence my opinion because this is what I do for a living and I don't want to just regurgitate what other people other people say. I think that can sometimes... I had someone... It's very interesting. I had someone the other day who DM'd me, um, uh, was asking about, you know, how she was... I think she wants... She, she does, at the moment, she does, like, letterbox reviews and she wants to know how to, like become a writer mm. okay we're a bit of like tips so we maybe try these blogs we'll try our new writers and then she, she said to me she goes oh great well you know what I love your your twitter and I, I always recycle your takes as my own and I was like oh that's kind of weird and I said to her maybe maybe come up with your own takes though because that's literally the point of being a critic <laughs> yeah why, why <laughs> you know? yeah it was, it was an interesting that someone would admit that, so I'm glad I kind of said that to her. But yeah, that's the thing. I don't want to be influenced by... No. Um, well, you know, obviously after it, there's some great, and I love reading reviews because it makes me a better... I feel like it makes me a better writer to see people who I consider probably better, better at the job than I am you're, or you're, have a different you're, perspective. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I think, like, yeah, that's who I'm, I'm doing it for, like, you know the every person like anyone who wants to watch a movie and speak in their terms who might want some guidance you know it's yeah but uh, you know obviously you, if they if i always think like you know filmmakers read your own reviews at your own you know peril peril really wow. and that's what i have to do now because i don't know i've got this i actually talked to my therapist recently is why i'm see seeking out criticism when i like search the things online about the books like because mm. i'm like because i want to know if anyone's saying shit about it it's like this <laughs> weird urge yeah, I've got a few more therapy sessions to really get into that. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's weird. Like now I'm in a position of like, oh, people are going to review my work. How am I going to feel if someone says it's absolute garbage um, or just hates it, you know? Mm. And, so and I think, yeah. And somebody will because everybody, everything is somebody's favorite and somebody's worst of whatever, you know? Every yeah. single thing is has, you know... But 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 they'll be idiots. The the people who hate will be idiots. Um, this this leads us on to the to to a uh, the last question really, which is um, how uh, what what is a film book that you would recommend to our to our listeners? Hmm. Well, women in Hollywood. I'd have hmm. to say Helen Hart. I'm sure you you've had her on, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she was on like uh, last year when it was when it came out the book. 
yeah I think for me that was a really I read that in one day Mm. um that I just steamed through it and just kind of like oh this is so (laughs) this is this is so accessible and easy to understand and not again like not being overly academic even though it's a history book right and I really love the sections that she covered it gave me a load of new writers um and, and films to kind of check out and you know and also acknowledge it made me I feel like it made me smarter by reading mm. it but also you know I mentioned in in I really recommend and maybe maybe it's not like the you know it's not like the page share but but Jack G Shaheen's Real Bad Arabs, spelled R-E-E-L, Bad Arabs. Mm. It's just, just if you've ever wanted to just see, like, he goes through, like, a thousand films from, you know, the first film, silent films, to, like, I think, because he unfortunately died, I think it was in 2015. So the version I have is, like, a the third edition. So there's there's things like post-9-11, a bit post-9-11 films in there. But it's so, it was honestly such an um, an amazing resource for me when I was writing the book. Because again, you know, seeing some of the things I was talking about, like we talk about the bombers, uh, belly dancers and billionaires tropes, that kind of three Bs that often Arabs mm. get, get painted as. And he has got this an amazing uh, like reference for the films. And he kind of talks about what were the what were the good things about the film, what the bad things about the film, like um, and specific and some historical references. It was so amazing like you know it was until I read that book that I realized like back to the future <laughs> I didn't like maybe we watched like wait back to the future what happened to begin I was like oh yes the Libyan terrorists which are just insane and like they're speaking gibberish and you know they're wearing their kefirs and just looking absolutely bonkers and you're like oh that's how it that's how easy these terror stereotypes just get embedded within mm. popular culture you know it's something as you think is quite inoffensive as back to the future it's right there in the beginning you know i love true lies i love true lies it's such a i love that film and then you realize that wait a second yeah this is kind of bad like this is a really shitty really yeah. like anti-arab like terrorism you know as i say in the book it's kind of all the rage so having that um having that book as a reference was was amazing and for anyone who who is interested to see things that they might have missed and um and even just having a book of, you know and also they it, he, he he lists down all the good ones as well he's like mm. these are the good ones as well so so yeah i thought that for me is a really great reference book for anyone who kind of wants to learn a bit more about what the obvious what the obvious and not so obvious films that basically kind of continue to position arabs as these evil megalomaniac psychotic you know overtly sexual people mm. i mean they're not <laughs> i mean they're just they're as much as that as white as the western world is you know it's what's yeah. interesting about it when you realize a lot of these stereotypes like yeah so there you go Helen O'Hara's Women in, uh, Women in Hollywood and Jack G. Shaheen's Real Bad Arabs. Brilliant. That, that's that's excellent. That's really, uh, that's that's great. I love it. I, I love a dip. Well, I've already read Helen's, obviously, but I'll, I'll look up Real Bad Arabs because I haven't I haven't seen that yet. So that's it's uh, very thick. It's right. like it, you can hold open a door with it. <laughs> <laughs> like it's such a good reference like anything's like wait let me what about rules of engagement you go oh shit <laughs> <laughs> excellent well listen Hannah it's been really brilliant reading the book and, and wonderful talking to you I think we've had a I think we've had a, a detailed nuanced complex uh, conversation which is almost as good as Twitter but but yeah. not quite <laughs> no well thank you so much it's been so nice to be able to chat about it and yeah, it's so nice to be able to, I don't know, speak with people who like my book. <laughs> <Hey>. <laughs>
But no, thank you so much. So that was my conversation with Hannah. We had some technical difficulties. I didn't mention at the beginning so as not to distract you, but there were some technical difficulties with the connection. So that's why the uh, conversation was a little bit interrupted. But I hope it didn't impede your enjoyment of the conversation. And, um, uh, you know, personally, I I had a... It was a revelation. It was an interesting, fascinating discussion uh, with Hannah and I really hope that uh, we'll have the opportunity to continue that conversation as I'm sure she will continue to write great stuff uh, and maybe even a follow-up book I hope so um, if well all that's left really is for me to thank Elliot Atkins for the music and Ali Howard for the art and thank you dear listener uh, for uh, for for joining me uh, I'll be back next week with another episode until then please take care catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.